Welcome to the curiously specific book club. You asked me to make a record of my voice. Well, here it is. What you want me to say is I love you. It is the truth. I hate you, you little slut. You make me sick. Why don't you get back to Nelson Place and leave me be? Hello. Hello. Fancy meeting you here. <laughs> we appear to be in a tunnel. Yes, I wonder what kind of people meet here. The lights were always on in the tunnel. The air was warm and thick and poisoned with human breath. Well, the boy said, what's it to be, Winkles or Brighton Rock? He watched her as if something important really depended on her answer. I'd like a stick of Brighton Rock, she said. Ah, can you guess which book we're doing, listener? <laughs> <laughs> Should we well, walk, walk out to the sea? Yeah, where are we? We're in a tunnel um, near, near the Sea Life Centre in Brighton. It's along the coast. It's grotty. But there is there a, is shop. a shop. I might have sold Brighton might Rock. Have sold Brighton Rock that faces out. Onto faces the... out, and then you come out, and then you're on the beach. There's a, there's a you're old, on the beach. Old fella coming up from the sea. There we are. And it's just started raining. It's just started raining in Brighton. There you go. And there's the Palace Pier, and old swimmers coming out, and a really murky tunnel yeah. where bad things must have happened. Yeah, yeah, quite, quite bad things. So in the opening of the Brighton Rock, the book What We Are Doing, yeah. and being curiously specific about dates and locations, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is where we think Fred... Fred Hale. ...is murdered. We think he's murdered down in the tunnel. By Pinky. Pinky and uh, Cubit and... Dallow. Dallow. Dallo. You have to go to the shooting ground and ask them the time. Because that's what Pinky does to get an alibi. Every time he does something bad, he goes to the shooting gallery. That's what we need to do. Is there a shooting gallery here? Well, of course there's... I thought there was one at the end. Is there? We're going to go right to the end. Well, the old amusements are at the end, aren't they? The old rides ah. and stuff. And then after they kill Fred, they come and have fish and chips out here, don't they? So apart from the electronic noises, it's it hasn't all, changed that it's much. It's all quite authentic, isn't it? So there's the Bryant Palace Pier Palm Court. That's where they That's hang where out. That's where they have their fish and chips. And also near the end, they go for a drink there. And Ida's at the bar and then hassles them, don't they? That's right. That's right. She's not frightened of anybody, is she? No. And yet somehow Green has absolute disdain for her. Yes, the middle class aspirations. He's got the very snooty... The Warwick Deeping books on her bookshelves, <laughs> and the J.B. Priestley. Oh, and here's the here's the here's the ghost train, the yeah, horror hotel. Exactly. It's all here. So now we're at the end of the pier. We're definitely. Where all the rides are. Hey, what's over here? 
There's a passage in Browning which I've always felt could have acted as an epigraph to all my books. Our interests on the dangerous edge of things. The honest thief, the tender murderer. We watch while these in equilibrium keep the giddy line midway. Here we are at the... Well, he climbed the ladder onto the tea terrace and looked around, and every table was full. He went inside the glass shelter and round into the long, narrow tea room, mm -hmm. which faced west. Perched 50 feet above the slow withdrawing tide, a table was free, and he sat down where he could see all the room and across the water to the pale parade. I'll wait, he said to the girl who came for his order. I've got friends coming. So this, he comes here after the shooting gallery. And then she comes over and she goes, he says, they're late, what time is it? It's nearly ten to two, the girl said. All the clocks on this pier are fast, he said. <laughs> oh no, the girl said, it's real London time. Uh, did you spot that reference, London time? No, I don't know, I don't know what that is. Well, this sounds like your cup of tea though, doesn't I've it? Seen, it as you, as you a, lift a cup I'm of tea a cup to your tea mouth. Tea terrace. So London time is actually a reference to the train timetable. So in the 18th and 19th centuries, every part of England was on a different time. Yes, um, I did know that. Because, um, um, but then when the train time, trains came in, they had to fix the time, so they fixed it on London time. So still, they were still talking about London time in the 1930s as being the canonical real time. So, so they had some sense that there was Brighton time. There was a Brighton time. Well, according to Pinky, Brighton time was like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Because I was here ten minutes ago, wasn't I? Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Bright time. Yeah, yeah. And then the other, then Cubit, Dello and Spicer all show up, having done Hail In. Uh, in, in a Brighton rock in shop. A, in a Brighton rock shop. Uh, but Spicer didn't do him in, did he? So, uh, Cubit and Dello Spicer wasn't in. there. Spicer's going around putting cards up because he's trying to keep to uh, Collie Kibber's timetable as advertised in the paper. Now, Collie Kibber. Yes, tell me about Collie Kibber. So... So Collie Kibber himself, as you almost undoubtedly know, was a famous 17th, uh, 17th century actor. So the amalgam of Collie Kibber, the actor, with Lobby Ludd, a fictional character invented in 1927 by the Westminster Gazette. Okay. The name being derived from the newspaper's telegraphic address, Lobby Ludgate. Oh, I didn't know that. There you go, Lobby Ludd. The newspaper would print details of which holiday resort Lobby Ludd was going to visit provide a description of him and that day's password phrase. Anyone carrying a copy of the newspaper could challenge Lobby Lard, utter the password and win some money. The News Chronicle, Daily Mirror and Daily Mail all ran similar schemes. The Daily Mirror's character was called Chalky White. Chalky White? Yeah, it was visiting, visiting resorts right up until the 1990s. So Alan Rusperger uh, wrote about Chalky White in 1980. Interviewed him on the prom in Lowestoft. Sorry, interviewed him? Yeah, yeah. What, as, like he's a real person? Like Chalky White's a real person? No, who was he? Each day, so Rushbridge wrote, each day a picture of Chalky's eyes appear in the Daily Mirror, and each day the great British holiday maker memorises them, together with the line he must say to claim the £50 prize. It is usually some sentences, to my delight, it's Chalky White's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could do that with Tim Wright. Um, so you could do that with Tim Wright. You've got to do that to me now, every time now. To my uh, delight. To my delight, it's Timmy Wrights. <laughs> Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club. So we get we've we've we we found what we think snows. We've been walking along the front. We were walking on the front, west west from the pier, between the pier and west pier. 
We now got onto West Street. Bottom of West Street, where it where on it on the corner of which is meant to be Snow's Tea Room, where basically Rose works, and Pinky keeps visiting her, and where the ticket, there's the the ticket is found. Well, Spicer leaves the ticket to yeah. uh, to try and complete the. So there's uh, a Harbour Hotel, and I think that's always been a hotel. So I there don't. There's a back entrance. I was wrong. So he could have, because Spicer Pink, Pinky comes in the back of it to meet with her. Okay, so the uh, the ground floor of the Harbour Hotel looks quite tea roomy and so we're thinking that might be it but the other option is that there's a massive great Odeon here that was clearly built in the 1970s there whatever it was built on top might have been yeah I'm trying to find the old might have been a tea room underneath it the bottom of West Street is clearly the sort of nexus of this whole place because also Sherry's dance hall yeah is round here as well yeah where they like to go dancing Ida likes to go dancing and he takes her dancing on their wedding night so on West Street Right, so what was there before? Well, it's kind of nothing. It's kind of a... Yeah. It's a kind of little alleyway, but then an open square. So maybe that is snows on that side. I like it, though, because you sort of feel like you're in the middle of where of sort of about three action points of locations yeah, 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 yeah. of where it all takes place. Also, how about everybody dance? Come on now. Okay. We're down in Brighton. We're opposite the it's West a, Pier. It's a book called Brighton Rock. Yeah. I bought you some Brighton Rock. You bought some Brighton Rock? In a brown paper bag. In a bag. brown paper bag. Okay. What does it say? Old Fart. Old Fart. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a reason yeah. I mentioned Old Fart. Thanks for that. Very touched. A reason I mentioned Old Fart. Yeah, why is that? Uh, I want to talk about Graham Greene. Was... <laughs> 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 so, the author of this book... Monsieur Graham Greene. Yes. Twice up for the Nobel Prize for Literature. Yep. Didn't win it. No. No. Um, wrote quite a lot of books. Lots of them. Lots of them about Catholic guilt. Married married quite young to a Catholic woman. Yes. Who he then left, but she wouldn't divorce him. Correct. She outlived him. She became a world expert in doll's houses. Really? Yeah. Well, there's an interesting doll's house reference in the book. I've missed that. What is that? Pinkin gets rather disgusted by uh, someone talking about buying a um, the smallest receiving set in the world. Oh yeah. A one two valve receiving set in the world. So basically, what that is, is a doll's house chamber pot. Is that what it is? Yes, yeah, a chamber pot for a doll's house, oh, made in Germany. It. Okay. I, fa- I found one for sale on uh, on eBay. So and it's a lavatory joke. He sees that in a shop and it's like disgusting. It's a lavatory he joke. He doesn't like lavatory jokes. He doesn't like anything Pinky to do with like it. Pinky doesn't like them. No, no. Pinky Brown. Pinky Brown. So I found a very good article in The Independent from the 1990s, which must have been a sort of reissue. Yeah. This book was published in 1938, written yes. 36, 37. Yes. Yeah. But John Carey writes a really good article in The Independent about him uh, and about green... Uh, being like Pinky. Okay. Green, green being like Pink. Pinky Brown, Graham Green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Brown, Mr. Green. 
It was the character of Pinky that took hold and made him realise he was not going to write just a detective story. One ingredient of Pinky... So he started writing it as a thriller, right? Yes. He started... He'd written the gun, A Gun for Sale, that was the book before, yes. which is an out-and-out thriller. Yes. In which, as you realise, because I've not read it for years, but Kite gets killed in A Gun for Sale. Yeah, the former leader of the gang, of Pinky's gang, yeah. Kite... Gets killed in the book before. killed in the book before. It's a prequel. It is. Yeah. But listen to this. One ingredient of Pinky appears was Green's memory of a boy called Carter who bullied him at school, right? Yeah. So he's, a, he's got that. But Pinky's coldness is the coldness that Green's relatives and acquaintances often noted. Apart- In Green? Yeah. yeah. His cousin Barbara admitted, apart from three or four people he was really fond of, I felt that the rest of humanity was to him like a heap of insects that he liked to examine. That's your own family member saying So he was obviously quite a cold fish. Also, Green-like is Pinky's fastidious revulsion from bodily functions. At school, Green had been brought close to nervous breakdown simply by having to live with other boys. He found their continual farting and coarseness intolerable. (laughs) Found the farting of boarding school intolerable. (laughs) You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? No. This, rather than physical ill-treatment, of which indeed he acknowledged there was almost none... He did say earlier on he was bullied at school, didn't he? Yeah, but then he admitted later that that it's actually the farting that got him down, that drove him to despair. (laughs) (laughs) We shouldn't laugh because he tried to kill himself. Well, we always laugh at people killing themselves on this podcast. He tried to kill himself by drinking his hay fever drops, eating deadly nightshade and other unlikely measures, and eventually he ran away. I think he also did take a lot of aspirin pills and tried to go swimming in the open air swimming pool at the boarding school in the middle of the night to try and kill himself. Anyway, it says here, but the damage was done, says John Kerry. In Brighton Rock, the disgusting aspects of human physicality that haunted the young green received vivid emphasis, especially those that relate to people's mouths and digestive organs. Belching, wind, sour breath, the lavatory smells in Rose's home the air poisoned with human breath in the tunnel by the rock shop. Yeah. This disgust, so deeply embedded in the novel, has the effect of aligning us with Pinky and apprehending life as he does. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I, I think don't it just agree tells that. us that Green has got a thing about it and feels sick about the thought of kissing. Well, we're on his side as opposed to Ida. The, the woman who's decided to work out what the hell went on here and who killed Fred and yeah. cottons on to that it was Pinky and then pursues him yeah. relentlessly. Yeah. She is demonised in the book as being into right and wrong rather than good and evil. And he's making some weird distinction between right and wrong and good and evil. And that people who understand good and evil and the, the, the idea of damnation, Pinky, yeah. are more sort of human and real about existence than Ida, who's, a, who's got some bourgeois sense of right and wrong. That's what I think's going on. OK. But I think Ida's... Isn't Ida an attractive character in lots of ways? I think she's really portrayed by Green as I mean, he looks awful. down on her. He looks down on her. He's really snobby. He's it's very, really very snobby. snobby about... He's snobby about her books and her music and yeah. her singing. Everything. Everything about that life he's really snobby about. And then I think he's also, frankly, a bit misogynist about big women with big boobs. Yeah. Um, the other thing about um, Green, as well as not liking farting, yeah. I mean, and for me, that 
distances him from me. Yeah, What's your problem? That's a big black mark against him. But at boarding school, that's he, almost as bad as the anti-Semitism. But he also says at Berkhamstadt he was exposed to constant scatology, and and Green noted in his autobiography he disliked the lavatory joke from that age on. He doesn't like lavatory jokes, even though he's made one in the book. Or Pinky Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got something to say about how that attitude towards good and evil really messes you up. Ah, he is profoundly yeah. messed up. Ooh. I think he's messed up by his parents and the Freudian sex thing, and he's redeemed by the Roman Catholic religion thing. Do you? That's where I think that's going. And I think that's quite topical at that time, that T.S. Eliot was converting to high Anglicanism... And he is also a snob who wants to be sneery about bourgeois stuff. And an anti-Semite. And not very good at fart jokes. All that English set from the 1930s, they're all into kind of popular, trying to be into popular stuff, like Auden into popular song and expressionist cinema. They're all into that kind of popular media, but then want to bring it back into the high art of the novel and fine art. And not, and then get rid of the sm- the nasty smells and the swearing. John Kerry, John Kerry's got a fantastic book on that, the intellectuals and the masses. Yeah, this is a brilliant, brilliant book about how they deliberately made everything enjoyable and human into something disgusting and abhorrent. Yes, which uh, this is what that this is what this book's about in yeah. a way, isn't it? Yeah, it's about how popular culture is taking over. It's the only way for them to make a living, frankly, is through advertising and popular music. And all these, gl- all these things are coming upon them when all they want, really, really want to do is write posh novels and go to the opera. But they can't make a living doing that, so they have to get involved in it but look down their noses at it. <laughs> well, that was a very highbrow conversation. Can we that go and have a pint in a pub or something now? That all went a bit batlisted then, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> When people go on and on about Graham Greene, especially his important books, like End of the Affair, I get puzzled. But I shouldn't be. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Greene. And there's nothing wrong with Forster either. I just feel like, what's all the fuss about? It was quite dark now. The coloured lights were on all down the hove front. Okay. They walked slowly past Snows. Yeah bottom of West Street past the Cosmopolitan okay which you think is the Bedford yeah an aeroplane flying low bird out to sea a red light vanishing they turned up through Norfolk Square right towards Montpellier Road yeah so we're in Norfolk Square Gardens at the moment yeah we've walked up from the Hove front you discovered that Green rented an apartment at the bottom of Western Street which we've just walked up uh, that's where he stayed. Which we walked past to get to Norfolk Square. So they walked past Graham Greene's apartment. Pinky Brown walked past Graham Greene's apartment. That's the idea. Okay. I'm going to be a bit annoying when we... We're not going to say this now, because we're going to go in search of it, but uh, I know the house number. Oh, come off it. You're quite annoyed about that, aren't oh, you? Oh, come off it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to fake your annoyance. You know his actual house number? No, there is also a reference in the book. Which you've overlooked. It's the house number? That you've overlooked. Oh, for pity's sake. <laughs> you always do this to me. How many times did you read it? Three. Three times? <laughs> yes. Okay. three times. Okay, I'm beginning to see now why you get these references and I don't. <laughs> I only read it once. Three no. times? Yeah, yeah. Have you got to be thorough about these things? 
because you have to you have to you have to check every every time it mentions a time you read them a three day. times yes well the first time you just read it for pleasure second time for notes I third don't... time to go back over the notes and see what you've missed is this why you never reply to any of my emails <laughs> so I need to read every book three times yes and then obviously one other book by the author that three might relate to it <laughs> you just... do, you, do you read anything else other than the books for this podcast no <laughs> Okay. I don't even wow. read a newspaper. Your dedication. I don't read anything your, else. Your dedication to a podcast with one listener is <laughs> is admirable. Rush to danger, wind up nowhere Patrick Doonan, raised to wait I'm tired again, I tried again And now my heart is full So we're standing on Montpellier Road which globes up from the seafront up the hill Yeah, it's quite a busy road, it's a B road So we're looking for where Pinky lives We're looking there for Frank's Frank's. Frank's house. 60, 61, 62, 63. 63. Ah. Now I have to thank uh, the writer of emeraldlamp.blogspot.com. Okay. Who's basically done all our work for us. Oh, really? The writer of this blog, I, I don't know whether Emerald is her name or his name, has gone to every location. So why are we doing it? don't know <laughs> but says Pinky has described waking early the next morning and walking down to the sea from Montpellier Road right you would definitely walk down this is quite a steep hill but what you've missed mate is that he actually does give the address in the book oh. and you just missed it where so he's recalling that he was picked up by Kite yeah he'd been coughing on the palace pier in the bitter cold listening to the violin wailing behind the glass Kite had given him a cup of hot coffee and brought him here, God knows why. Perhaps because he was out and wasn't down. Perhaps because a man like Kite needed a little sentiment, like a tart who keeps a Pekingese. Kite had opened the door of number 63, and the first thing he'd seen was Dallow embracing I Judy knew, on the stairs. I can't believe I missed Unbelievable that I missed that. What can I say? Number 63. 63 Montpellier Road. But what we have noted is that if you walk up, as it said, that you went down the front and you went past Snows... Well, he said he walks uh, along the Hove front. Hove front of Snows, the Cosmopolitan, then up to Norfolk Square. You then have to come back from Norfolk Square to here. Yeah, we would walk past the end of Montpellier Road. So why wouldn't you walk straight up Montpellier Road? Why wouldn't you? Well, our theory on that was that Graham Greene's flat was at the bottom of Western Street. So Graham Greene walked up through Norfolk Square... To Montpellier Place. I think that's Montpellier right. Road. So green in Brighton. Again, emeraldlamp.blogspot.com. Props are due. Emeraldlamp.blogspot.com. The entrance to Embassy Court, a block of flats designed by Wells Coates and built in 1935. Okay. There is a story that Graham Greene lived here or stayed here for a while. That's essentially where Pinky lived. Unbelievable. We found it. That is great. Well, we haven't found it. Oh, we haven't found it, no. Although it's in the book. It's in the book. I did we? find it. I did find the 63 before I found re- the blog, it didn't really to be take, honest. It didn't really take a lot of finding, No, it didn't did it? a lot of fine reading. Unless you were an idiot like me. <laughs>
rooting out slums in big cities has occupied the active attention of the national government, cooperating with local authorities. You know, we are setting out to rehouse about 1,300,000 persons in, uh, out of the slums in good, comfortable houses. Of course, the first stages of the work are the slowest, but already we are rehousing them at the rate of 150,000 a year. That is oh, about 400 a day, and uh, the work will go on faster and faster. Geoffrey Shakespeare, how would you give people an idea about the magnitude of the work that is being done? I should put it like this, Minister. Uh, take my own constituency of Norwich. We are rehousing in five years a population, a slum population, equal to the whole population of Norwich and these towns in addition. Uh, Canterbury, Margit, uh, Hastings, Exeter, uh, Great Yarmouth, uh, South End <coughs> and Brighton. Certainly is a, a great work and worthy of its great object. No more slums. Half Paradise Peace had been torn up as if by bomb bursts. The children played about the steep slope of rubble. A piece of fireplace showed houses had once been there and a municipal notice announced new flats on a post stuck in the torn gravel and asphalt facing the little dingy damaged row, all that was left of Paradise Peace. His home was gone. A flat place among the rubble may have marked its hearth. But now it's a very large complex of social housing, quite st on a steep hill, behind the police station. So here he is. The boy crossed over towards old Stain, Stone, Stein, 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 whatever. Uh, walking slowly. The streets narrowed uphill above the Stain. Yeah. Yeah, that's us. Yeah. The shabby secret behind the bright corsage. That's a good way. It is, it is. You do walk off the stone and suddenly you're, in the, you're on it. The deformed breast. That's misogyny that's, right that's there. That's a bit of... Uh, yeah. Every step was a retreat. He thought he had, he had escaped forever by the whole length of the parade. And now extreme poverty took him back. A shop where a shingle could be had for two shillings in the same building as a coffin maker's who worked in oak, elm or lead. No window dressing but one child's coffin, dusty with disuse, and the list of hairdressing prices. Wow. Wow. So if Just I go and look at Carlton Hill, uh, which, is, which is what this hill is called, yeah. Carlton Hill on Wikipedia, um, it talks about the redevelopment of here. Yeah, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, Carlton Hill's notoriety as a slum increased. Poverty, drunkenness, disease and low living standards were rife. Anyway, assisted by government funding, Brighton Corporation undertook extensive slum clearance from 1928 okay. until the start of World War II, transforming the area's appearance. The Milner Flats, which we just passed, yeah, yeah. a long four-storey block, stand on the site of Woburn Place and were completed in 1934. Okay. So they were there. They were there. The Kingswood Flats, so which are these ones, yeah. on the site of Nelson Place, exactly where Rose's parents yeah, lived, yeah. Uh, was built in 1938. So he's writing the book in... 36. 36. Late 36. 
right. so early right 37. The, just, the book is published in 38. So if you walked up here, it would be right at the end, just before it was demolished. So those, his Rose's parents will have been relocated into one of these to Whitehawk and Moolscombe. No, they would have moved up out towards the racecourse. They bought new house estates. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got that really quite. He's got that quite well, hasn't he? That sort of moment. Yeah. Paradise Peace has obviously already been flattened. Yes, exactly. It's further up the hill, right? Well, this whole this whole um, book is about class as well, isn't it? It's about about the, what's going on in the lower classes of and working classes of what life's like, and it's sort of little prurient window for novel readers into into the, how the other half live. But that that description there isn't particularly prurient. That's what. No, it's it isn't. Prurient. No, it's, quite, no. it's quite real. But I, but I suppose, but is he not talking about what, what the effect of poverty has had on Pink's psychology? Pinky's psychology. Well, it's more the behaviour of his parents. I suppose is, is he saying that the parents behaved like that because they were poor, or I think he's got something to do because yeah. obviously that allu- I told you that allusion to um, that when Ida is singing um, um, that that song as we sat down to tea, Lord Rothschild said to me, yeah. and then it doesn't say what. Lord Rochdale said, but actually I looked that up. It's yeah. a music hall song yeah. um, called "I Wonder What It Feels Like to Be Poor," and it's meant to be a comedy, comedy music hall lyric, uh, being ironic about people thinking they're poor when they're not really poor. Mm. Oh, I wonder what it feels like to be poor, to have the wolf forever at your door. There are thousands of poor men who only earn ten pound a week, who only have four meals a day and nothing else to eat. How my heart aches when I see the shabby clothes they wear. A life like that I never could enjoy. So it's full of dripping irony about people not being as poor as they think they are. Only last night after tea, Baron Rothschild says to me, Oh, I wonder what it feels like to be poor. There you are, Bill. What did I tell you? Black boy ran like a day's assault. Come on, pay up! (laughs) Brass again, who is she? Well, um... I don't think I'll be needing you after all, Spicy, so we might as well say goodbye. Well, goodbye, Pinky. So what we should say is we're sitting in the stand at the race course. course. Completely empty. We've just walked in. There's no one here. And uh, amazing view of the sea. Yes, so this is the scene where he 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 double-crosses his mate. He goes up to the races. He's told Colleone that he can get Spicer. So Colleone is the rival gang leader. Colleone is the coming man. Yeah. who lives at the Cosmopolitan Hotel. The Cosmopolitan Hotel, which we think is the Bedford Hotel. Yeah, right. which is now the Holiday Inn. Rival gangs yeah. at the race course. Yeah, so and he, uh, so he goes up to the race course with Spicer and Cubit and Dallow. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically he sets Spicer up to be, uh, to be slashed up at the race course by Corleone's men. So it's pretty clear in all the commentary that Colleone is based on this character called Charles Sabini. Sabini? Yep. Born Ottavio Handley in Saffron Hill, which was then known as London's Little, Little Italy. I didn't know that. Mm. Uh, well, uh, it's, it's still got a very good Italian uh, deli right by where the old Guardian was. Of course it has. And the fantastic restaurant in the back. And the Catholic Church. Mm. It's got the big Catholic yeah. Church. Of course yeah, it yeah. has. Yeah. So he was leader of the Sabinis and king of the racecourse gangs. Oh, no. dominated the London underworld and racecourses throughout the south of England for much of the early 20th century, operating racecourse protection rackets against bookmakers. Now, my understanding was that Green was somewhat inspired by a incident at the Lewis racecourse. 
Yes, in June 1936. On 8th of June, 30 members of the Whites Gang arrived at Lewis Racecourse and took their revenge on bookmaker Arthur Solomons and his clerk. Okay. Um, So Charles Sabini, commonly known as Darby, now, during the 1930s, was said to be a permanent resident in a penthouse apartment in the Grand Hotel. In the Grand Hotel? Yep. Okay, so we've got to sort that out, haven't we, that we said... Well, so there's three, think... there's, there's the hotels are mentioned in the book, mm. right? We, we haven't really talked about this in detail. Yeah. We've got the Grand, obviously. Mm. We've got the Metropole, as mentioned, which is still there. Mm. We've got the, the Royal Albion, yes. which is mentioned, which uh, we tried to record some audio in, but they were playing Too music. Too noisy. They're playing music everywhere. This is terrible. Uh, the old it? ship is mentioned. Yes. Uh, and this place called the Cosmopolitan. They're all on the front there, aren't they? So all of them are there, apart from the Cosmopolitan, which yes. is, is, isn't, is the only one that Green seems to have invented. Um, and that's the one where Colleoni is staying at. Yes. There's a mention of Napoleon III and his wife Eugenie staying there, but they stayed at the Grand. Um, Sabini stayed at the Grand. But probably Green was a bit squeamish about mentioning the Grand as being a place where all the gangsters stay in. I don't know. Well, as you've already said, he got sued the following year. The following for year? talking about Shirley Temple's sexuality. Well, not about her sexuality, about <laughs> her being dressed up as a kid in very adult, sensuous ways for yeah. the benefit of elderly men to gawp at her in the yeah. cinema. And the film company and Shirley Temple both sued yeah. him and the, the magazine that he edited. And he legged it to the Mexico. Yeah, because he could have gone to... That's where he went, yeah. So he, that's why there was a slight delay between the writing of this book and the publishing of it, I yeah. suspect. Yeah. So, yeah, so he wasn't frightened of uh, saying libelous things. Things. Yeah, I think the point was that the the Bedford the, the Bedford Hotel, which w- has had rather ornate decorations, in as described in there, that it, it talks about the sort yeah. of Turkish lounge, and it was also right next to Green's flat. If he was staying in, yes, there. yeah. So so he probably knew it quite well. Yeah, and the fact is that yes, yeah, so it's more than likely that the bed, and also it, it accords with the idea that if you walk down the front from the tea house down to that to Norfolk Square yeah. you'd go past the Bedford that's what you'd yeah, go past you would you would so I think that's probably a fair shout yeah the book came out in 1938 he was he was writing it in 1936 <laughs> there's a couple of uh, there's not actually a date in the book there's a reference to a picture of Edward VIII as king yes he was king in 1936 he abdicated in November I think 38 36 36 there's also an odd reference to the Spanish Civil War and signing up. Yes, which you couldn't do until November 30... Which you couldn't do until November 1936. I but think... If Edward VIII was king, then it must be June 1936, which is the same date as the Lewis Racecourse incident. Correct. So the only, his only false move is really mentioning uh, signing up for the Spanish... for the Spanish S- Civil War. S- yeah, that, that couldn't have happened. But everything yeah. else... Points towards 36. I would say a few things about this. Back to that John Carey article that yeah. I mentioned. He wrote to his brother, Hugh, in a letter of the 31st of October, 1936. Right. The baby is crying, and I have ten books accumulated for review and this damned thriller to write. Right. So that's October 36. The thriller was Bright and Rock, and Green's slighting reference to it confirms that, like Stamble Train and A Gun for Sale, 1936... It was meant as a money spinner, not serious art. 
So he got the idea for the story from newspaper accounts of a case at Lewis Assizes, the Brighton race gangs, right? Yeah. And the details of the affray we've just told you. He's, he mentions all of that. But on, in, on reading the press report, Green wrote excitedly to his brother, inviting him to a day of low sport at Brighton races the following week. Mm-hmm. I warn you that I shall want to spend my time in the lowest enclosure. What a snob. They went on the 4th of August, okay. 1936. Uh, yeah, 1936. Right. The day after a bank holiday Monday, which is seen as the Times reported, unusually large crowds at Brighton. Well, Whitson in 1936. Yes. So, because the, the, it opens... On Whitson Monday. Uh, yeah. When's is, that? Is uh, 1st of June. 1st of June. So... Are we saying then that Hale is killed on the 1st of June 1936? I think we are saying that he's killed on June the 1st, 1936. And I have to say, we also know that they got married on a Saturday. Right. uh, A few weeks later. Yeah. Um, It has to be in June because the last sentence of the book. So the last line of the book is, she walked rapidly in the thin June sunlight towards the worst horror of all which is that she discovers she's going to listen to the record that, that Pinky recorded of his voice that tells her that she, he I hates her. I can't stand you. Yeah, he's sensing something more horrible than that. He does. Anyway, so um, they got married on a Saturday. Yeah. Uh, so the only Saturdays that can be would be the 6th, the 13th, the 20th or the 27th. So how long is it between the marriage and them driving up to Saltdean? So it's a couple of days. There's a, there's a reference that Dallow says something. God, it's only been a week since we we killed um, Fred. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that takes you to the seventh. The seventh. And then they get married after that. So yeah. I think it's probably going to be the thirteenth, Saturday the thirteenth of June, nineteen thirty-six. And somewhere between Saturday the thirteenth and Saturday the twentieth, bad things happen to Pinky, which is what we're going to do next. We're going to Peacehaven. Yeah, or are we going to run down the hill away from the... Uh, we can see if we can find his garage. Let's go and see, because how he ran away, having been cut up. Yeah, OK. That we might find a little route there. But yeah. apart from that, it's rather good here, though, it's isn't good. it? It's good, very good. It's better without the people. Good acoustics. I've read all his work time and time again. I find him uh, immensely readable, but finally I've come to the conclusion that uh, he's not a great novelist uh, for the simple reason that he doesn't really become engaged with his subject. He was uh, lacking in certain human qualities. A few followed him out of the wire gate and straight down the side of the down towards the houses in the sea. So this is a wire gate. He wept as he ran, lame in one leg from the kick. He even tried to pray. You could be saved between the stirrup and the ground, but you couldn't be saved. You didn't repent and he hadn't time. Scrambled down the chalk down to feel the least remorse. He ran awkwardly, tripping, bleeding down his face and from both hands. Okay, so I'm going to try and drive down as close to that as I can. Can you see anything coming up that way? Nothing coming that way. Only two men followed him now and they followed him for the fun of it, shooing him as they might shoo a cat. He reached the first houses in the bottom, but there was no one about. The races had empty every house, nothing but crazy paving and little lawns. Here we go, this is good, look. Stained glass doors and a lawnmower abandoned on a gravel path. Okay, so it's now Crown Vale. Craven Vale, 1953. Right. So, so this is all new. This is all new. Public footpath, so he came running down He's here. He's coming legging down here. He's coming legging down here, isn't he? 
didn't dare take refuge in a house. While he rang and waited, they would reach him. He had his razor blade out now, but he had never yet used it on an armed enemy. He had to hide, but he left a track of blood along the road. The two men were out of breath. They had wasted it on laughter, and he had young lungs. He, he gained on them. He wrapped his hand in a handkerchief and held his head back so that the blood ran down his clothes. He turned a corner and was into an empty garage before they had reached it. So think, yeah, literally, this is almost, this is a really steep hill. Without, yeah, so he's running down. Houses here, he's just yeah, come straight down. He's come crashing down here. So all of this is part of the 50s development, isn't it? So he's oh. running in there before that estate was in there. Yeah. So we're still going downhill. We've been going downhill all this time. Really the, quite steep. From the race course. And now yeah. we get into the... And now you get to the old houses. And there's a public footpath. Garage there. Where? There's a garage. <laughs> hey, look at this. I'm liking this. So look at that, that's the chalk down about that's immediately the, above he, it. Exactly, it? so he's down there, it's right? down here, isn't he? Oh, right, this is all... This is all good, isn't it? This is all proper old houses. the street, the butte arms. So that was an old pub. These are, these are quite sort of boho, aren't they? But it's right it's up like... against the cliff, the, cli the cliff edge. Yeah. A few people passed, the faintest sound of music bit like an abscess into his brain from the palace pier. The lights came out in the neat, barren, bourgeois road. Okay, well this is quite... We're in it. The neat, barren, bourgeois road. The garage had never been used for a garage. It had become a kind of potting shed. Little green shoots crept like caterpillars out of shallow boxes of earth. A spade, a rusty lawnmower, and all the junk the owner had no room for in the tiny house. An old rocking horse. They are tiny houses. A pram, which had been converted into a wheelbarrow. A pile of ancient records. They lay there with the trowels, what was left of the crazy paving. A doll with one glass eye, and a dress soiled with mould. He took it all in with quick glasses, glances. His razor blade ready the blood clotting on his neck. Whoever the owner was, he'd come a long way to land up here. The pram wheelbarrow was covered with labels, the marks of innumerable train journeys, Doncaster, Lichfield, Clacton, Ipswich, Northampton. And this, the small villa under the racecourse, was the best finish he could manage. Love me. I'll show you he loved me. Mother, can I? If you want to. said suddenly at random we pull in here an ill-made street petered out towards the cliff he drove a few yards in turned out his headlights switched off his engine so this is the spot where they come to commit suicide so they drive up from Brighton uh, to Peacehaven so you drive eastwards along the along the cliffs to Peacehaven which is like high up on the cliffs 
They go to a hotel, first of all. We haven't had much luck locating the hotel, but we think we found a candidate for it, which is the Jew Drop-In. Yes, sadly shut. Sadly shut, because we're hoping to get a quick pint. But it looks of a period. And it looks in the right place. Yes, because then you drive back and towards you, Brighton. And there's a, so there's, the, there's, a, there's the main road through Peacehaven, Rottingdean, Saltdean, and then off that road towards the cliff edge are all these little roads with bungalows on them. Now, there's hundreds and hundreds of bungalows now, most of them built in the 50s, 60s and 70s, but in between them there are a few that were built earlier than that. You found one built in 22. So it's feeling really good as a place where people were building bungalows. Yep. Peacehaven itself was only founded in the year 1919. I know that because we're standing at the Peacehaven King George V Memorial, which um, marks the the southernmost point in the British Isles on the meridian. It was the built... The prime meridian, we should say. The, prime, the meridian. prime meridian of Greenwich. Yeah. And the stone was laid... This is a good bit. Yeah. The stone was laid on May the 30th, 1936. Which is basically two days... Two days before... Before Hale the beginning of the book. ...is killed back in Brighton. Come on, Dallow, he said, you bloody squealer. And he put his hand up. And then she couldn't tell what happened. The glass somewhere broke. He screamed and she saw his face steam... He screamed and screamed with his hands up to his eyes. He turned and ran. She saw a police baton at his feet and broken glass. He looked half his size, doubled up in appalling agony. It was as if the flames had literally got him and he shrank, shrank into a schoolboy flying in panic and pain, scrambling over a fence, Mm -hmm. running on. Stop him, Dallow cried. It wasn't any good. He was at the edge. He was over. They couldn't even hear a splash. It was as if he'd been withdrawn suddenly by a hand out of any existence, past or present, whipped away into zero. Nothing. Uh. It's not great. Curiously, there's a little memorial... A little memorial rose. rose. ...tied with a yellow ribbon on the fence as if somebody may have died here. Well, it's, it's all a bit convenient, isn't it? The, cool. the Meridian statue... It's, it's the place. I'm getting the vibe. I'm getting the vibe too. That we I, certainly think the... he, I certainly think Graham was up here having well, a look around. I think we found the, the place where Pinky falls off a cliff. Yeah. 